Actually, you've marked song number 701, which we'll again use later in the time of our service today. We certainly are in a point of perspective as we're so thankful for God and all His goodness toward us. He's allowed you and me to get up on this Sunday morning, to gather at a place to worship Him, the only true and living God, and to do that in a way that He has directed in His Word that He'll find pleasing. I'd suggest for the next few moments, after our singing, after our prayers, let us focus attention on His Word for at least a few minutes this morning to tell you the truth. That's how I've entitled the lesson today. I'd like to begin the lesson with an introductory statement, this slide that, of course, comes to you in the following way. Every one of us understand the fact that truth is serious business. Although it is the case that our modern society devalues truth significantly. Although it is true that very many individuals have a very low respect for the entity you and I would call truth, that doesn't change what the Bible says about it. I would call to your attention John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if the Lord is, in fact, the truth, and He said that He was, that verse, along with many others, highlights the incredible significance that attaches to it. With that kind of idea in mind, may I ask, have you ever heard someone say, maybe in the course of conversation, well, to tell you the truth, you know, those words ought never come out of the mouth of a Christian. There ought never be any question of what we're going to tell them the truth. And I know that perhaps by way of habit or by way of mere consideration, we've heard that phrase so often, maybe we have either fallen prey to using it ourselves, or we have at least condoned maybe someone else using it. Again, may I say, for a Christian to say, well, to tell you the truth, what other option is there? If you and I aren't going to tell them the truth, that means we're lying to them. Let's study a lesson then about telling the truth. As we do that, I would suggest this is an ongoing matter of challenge for each of us. Because as I said earlier, our world doesn't place a high regard on truth. Quite often, there's encouragement to lie. There's encouragement to deceive. There's encouragement to be false. And you and I have got to be anchored to the way of truth in such a way that we appreciate the nature of what pleases God. I hope that as you have your Bible handy, we're going to look at a lot of Bible examples this morning about people who didn't tell the truth and what happened to them? What happened in those circumstances? And as we do that, I hope we'll be reminded about the needfulness, the preciousness, and the necessity of always being truthful. Let's close that slide then like this. As far as lying. Now you and I realize the Bible definition of lying is to purposefully and deliberately deceive somebody. Let me say that again. To purposefully and deliberately deceive somebody. That's what is involved in telling a lie. That is to say, you know that there's some other thing that really is the truth, but you either directly or indirectly give this other person the other impression or another impression for that reason. Let's first begin our lesson with this resounding element of Bible understanding. 
Although the world often gives thought to lying being sometimes acceptable, sometimes okay, God never does that in His Word. Never, ever. Lying is always wrong. There is never a time, according to the Word of God, when telling a lie in the eyes of God would be acceptable. Look at just a few of these verses, some taken from the Old Testament, some from the New, that help us highlight that idea. In Proverbs 6, seven things God hates. Did you notice one of them? A lying tongue. God hates that tongue. He hates the very reality of that one that would tell a lie. But in addition to that, in Proverbs 12, verse 22, same book, there's something described as an abomination. As often as you and I have encountered that word, we know this is something abhorrent. It is something that's loathsome. What is it? Lying lips. God has such a high esteem for truth in any place, in any regard. He has such a great disdain for that lying. As you and I add to that, in Zechariah 8 verse 16, near the end of the Old Testament, God had that noble prophet Zechariah to make proclamation, Speak ye every man truth with his neighbor. The children of Israel had fallen into lying. You lie for various and sundry reasons, and we'll describe some attributes of that in just a minute. But God told Zechariah, you charge the people, always speak the truth. Among other things, doesn't this instill within you and me a high regard for truth? Our society doesn't have that high regard. Truth is a rather nebulous thing sometimes. Some people don't even think it exists. And even if it does, many people think it's unimportant. Nothing could be further from the teaching of the Bible. God has a regard for truth and He demands the people who love Him have a regard for it. And that, of course, not only involves spiritual things, it involves the way we live our lives each day. Are you and I a person who values truth? Let's look at some other verses. In Ephesians 4.25, in the heart of the New Testament, here to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote these words. As you put off the old man and put on the new, you speak truth. You speak what's true. Now, as you and I recognize how well that applies to us, it's fair to say Colossians 3.9 was the lesson text of this morning. The church in Colossae was struggling, at least in one way, with this. Lie not one to the other. May I say that not only is lying something that can be a problem for people of the world, it could slip into your life or mine. It could come to the place wherein you or I might fall prey to lying. Paul told the church in Colossae, don't do that. You mortify the old man with all his deeds, and that includes lying. Lie not one to the other. Just as surely as the New Testament is filled with various commandments, that's another one. Did you notice? The subject is not even included. You lie not one to another. That implies to all of us. Finally, on that slide, you and I recognize that we worship 
God who Himself cannot lie. He esteems truth, and truth is a part of who He is to the point that He is even unable to lie. Titus 1 verse 2. That means, doesn't it, that when it comes to truthfulness, that's the essence of God. In the same way that God is love, God is truth. Deuteronomy 32, 4. If you and I love Him and we wish to be like Him, we too must be people of truth. It is with that said, we close that slide this way. Doesn't the Bible close with a rather powerful assertion of what will happen to those who lie? Revelation 21.8 talks about a lake burning with brimstone and fire. Who will be there, John? Those that lie. If you and I ever begin to wonder if lying's okay, think about Revelation 21.8, would you? Or think about Revelation 22.15. Here's the end of all those that lie. With all that said, let's devote the remainder of our lesson to looking at various examples in the Bible of those who did tell lies, what happened in those circumstances, and hopefully learn from them some things to help us. What reasons might there be for a person to tell a lie? I don't know if the list which I have composed is an exhaustive one or not. Probably not. But at least there are many supposed facts that could enter into a person telling a lie. Well, all of these are in the Bible. Let's look at them one by one. First of all, there are those who lie because it's a habit. In other words, they have chosen to live their life in such a way that they just regularly tell lies whether they need to or not. They just seemingly have developed that kind of lifestyle to be liars. Maybe you've known someone like that. After a couple of times like this, you wonder, I can't ever trust what this person says, even if the circumstances of no avail to them. Are you aware the Bible talks about some who it seems were just habitual liars? In Titus 1, verses 12 and following, Paul makes reference to citizens on the island of Crete. And the Holy Spirit recorded these words, The Cretans are always liars. Now, may I suggest that that's a terrible description of a people at least. But yet the next verse says, This witness is true. The Cretans apparently were just people who lied. I've often wondered, it must have been pretty sad trying to live on the island of Crete in business dealings or anywhere else. You just couldn't trust what they tell you. May I say, there may still be individuals in our world who are just habitual liars. They lie to you. Well, as you'll notice, continuing on that statement, you and I know that lying is of the devil, John 8, 44. Whenever a person tells a lie, the devil's the one behind it. He's the father of liars, and he has been since the very beginning. Wasn't it he who said to Eve, You will not surely die, Genesis chapter 3, when all the while God had told her, In the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. The devil lied to her. He's been the father of lies ever since. Every time a person tells a lie, it's the devil who's behind it. It is He who is attempting to bring this circumstance into disfavor with what is the right thing. 
maybe one final thought in point number one. Paul, in writing to Titus concerning these Christians, said, you rebuke them. They need to learn not to tell lies like this. You and I need to learn that today. If lying is something we have fallen into a habit of, we need to repent. We need to make changes. God doesn't like lying. What about the second example in the Bible? The second justification for why some might consider lying. What about fear? You know, there are people who might fall into telling a lie because they're afraid of what may happen if they tell the truth. Look at these Bible examples. In Matthew 26, verses 69 and following, you recall the scene rather well. Jesus, of course, was on trial. Peter was in the distance. Someone said, weren't you one of them? And Peter said, not me. A second time, hold it, weren't you one with, weren't you one with Jesus? And Peter said, no, not me. Third time I made upon recognizing him apparently, weren't you one of his disciples? And Peter began to curse. I don't even know the man. Peter lied. What prompted him to lie? Well, I suspect it was fear. That man Jesus out there was on trial and he's about to be crucified. And if I identify with him... That might happen to me. Peter lied, perhaps out of fear, in an effort to protect himself. Another example might well be Abraham. You recall, on this occasion, he and Sarah, his wife, were of course moving soon into that area. You might recall that the king of that area and this particular people, they apparently very much had an interest in beautiful women. Sarah was very pretty, apparently. Abraham told Sarah, you tell them that you're my sister. Because if they think you're married to me, they'll kill me for you. He encouraged his wife to lie. What do you think about that? We often describe Abraham as the father of the faithful. That was not one of his better moments. He encouraged his wife to lie. Now these two examples perhaps highlight that perhaps fear could be one thought crossing the mind of somebody. That does not excuse the lie. In Matthew 26, 75, after the cock crew, what did Peter do? He went out and wept bitterly. He knew he'd lied. He knew he denied the Lord. He knew that he had fallen short of what ought to have been the case. He didn't try to excuse it. May I say that fear is still not reason for lying. What about a third example? There are those who tell a lie because they see in it a personal advantage. There's something that will advantage me if I tell this lie. Case in point might be Genesis 27, verses 1 and following. You recall the scene well. Isaac was an old man. The time had come for the blessing of the boys. What is it that Jacob did? Now, Isaac told Esau, You go and get that venison that I like so much, and you come, and I will bless you. And Rebekah told Jacob, you go and quickly kill a goat. And he came back 
With that in mind, the skin was placed upon him to make him look hairy. And he went in before Isaac, and Isaac said, Are you Esau? And Jacob said, Yes. He lied to his daddy. He lied to his father. And of course, in that deception, he received the blessing. That doesn't excuse it. But you'll notice, he saw in this a way to gain a personal advantage. He lied. You may notice in regard to that lying. To see lying in that regard, it of course highlights selfishness. And it highlights a very unloving disposition. You and I know that the great God of heaven could have brought about His will through Jacob without Jacob's lies. And today, God can bless you and I tremendously without relying on our lies, if that's something we're guilty of doing. Perhaps finally, you might notice, lying never, and I repeat, never, turns out good. Whether it be out of fear, whether it be out of personal advantage, whether it be out of any of these other things we're about to study today, lying does not turn out good. That thought alone can be a useful one for you and me to keep in mind because in the heat of a moment it may seem as if, if I'll tell this lie, at least it'll get me out of this difficult situation. But it doesn't turn out well. Look at the fourth reason in the Bible at least. What about convenience? There are individuals who again will fall into the matter of just telling a lie out of convenience. I suppose this one may be one of the most tempting ones for you or for me. Has a circumstance like this ever happened? I realize in days gone by it was a little bit more common. A visitor shows up at the door. And this person says, I'd like to talk with you a few moments about life insurance. And you say, I, I don't have time right now. I've got to go somewhere. When all the while, all you're going to do is close the door and go back and sit in front of the television. You lied to that man. You lied to him if that's what you did, if that's what I did. That was not the truth of the matter. It's not that you had somewhere to be. It's not that you had a place to go visit. You just didn't want to talk to the man. We need to be truthful. In a case like that, we should just simply say, I am not interested, and let it go with that. We ought not tell lies, even if it's a matter of convenience. Truth ought to be more precious. Truth ought to be more highly regarded. In Proverbs 3, verse 28, in Proverbs 23, verse 23, we are urged to buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding... And that opening verse rather directly touches the matter before us. When someone asks you for something and you say, I do not have it, when all the while you do, you've just lied. And Proverbs 3.28 says you did something wrong. Again, may we be careful with the words we choose to use, making sure we always are given to the truth. One by one, as we've looked at these first four, it brings us to a fifth one. Another biblical exposition. What about embarrassment? 
Have you ever known of an individual, maybe you or I, have found ourselves in a very embarrassing situation, and if I'll just tell this lie, at least I can save face. Well, let's in fact study that in light of Genesis 4, verses 1 and following. In this early chapter in the Word of God, the two individuals on the biblical stage were Cain and Abel. Now, you and I recall that they, of course, had brought their offerings before God, and Abel had brought this fruit, if you please, this thing that was pleasing to God. He brought this animal sacrifice. Cain, however, brought the fruit of the ground. In the verses that follow, we note this. God says to Cain, Cain, sin lieth at the door. Where is your brother? Cain said, I don't know. Cain knew very well where he was. He killed him. Cain lied. Cain lied. Maybe it was in the attribute of embarrassment. Now, surely he knew that God was well aware of things, but even if he didn't, isn't it a matter that sometimes this issue of embarrassment, I'm going to look rather foolish if I tell the truth, at least I can save a degree of my face or my reputation in this matter. In Genesis 39, verses 1 and following, maybe that very idea is what could be used to describe Potiphar's wife. Joseph, of course, had found himself sold by his brothers, and he finally found himself in Egypt serving in the house of a man named Potiphar. Day after day, Potiphar's wife made advances to Joseph. He refused them. Time and again, I can't do this. I can't, in fact, misplace the trust of my master in light of God. Finally, the day came, there was nobody in the house but Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and she made a strong advance. Joseph fled, leaving his coat behind. But you'll notice that Potiphar had Joseph thrown into prison. I wonder what Potiphar's wife thought about Joseph. Do you suppose she thought, he's going to go tell my husband what I've done? And so she lied about Joseph. She said, he's the one made advancings to me. She lied. She lied. Do you suppose it was to save her reputation? If her husband knew she'd been the one making advances to him, maybe he would have dealt far more harshly with her. But she lied. Oh, how poorly it turned out for Joseph, at least in the short run. But even in the prison, he was greatly blessed. One last thing about that one. If a conscience has been properly trained, lying is going to hurt. It's going to cause a feeling of distortion. It's going to cause a feeling of, shall we say, misappreciation. For that conscience that's rightly trained, it just bothers us when we lie. May we always try to make sure to train that conscience so that it values biblical truth and truth in every regard. In addition to embarrassment, what about number six? Sometimes there are those who will lie in the interest of protecting somebody else. That is to say, it isn't solely for their own personal benefit, but maybe to protect someone else. 
Look at this example in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 and following. We studied this one recently on Sunday morning in the Bible study hour. There was a woman named Rahab. Spies came to her house. She protected them. But you might recall that when the king's servants came, she said, they're not here. When all the while they were, she lied. No doubt about it, she lied. Now notice, she wasn't doing it, at least directly it would seem, for the, except for the main reason of protecting them. She did trust in the God that they served, but she chose to protect them. As we discussed at some length, when we studied that chapter, the Bible doesn't approve her lying. It does approve her conviction in God. Even when lying is done to protect somebody else, that still doesn't make it right. That still doesn't offer justification and reason for it. You'll notice, it may seem as if this is a noble thing, but it isn't noble. It cheapens the truth and it harms relationships. Truth has to be of the highest regard, even in circumstances like this. Example number seven. What about other reasons for lying? Sometimes there are those who lie because they, quite frankly, are acted and motivated by a will that's evil. Ill will, as I have called it. It's not that they're out to protect anybody. It's not that they're out for anything other than to harm or hurt somebody that they don't particularly care for. Maybe you've known of somebody in your community or at work who has told lies about you. Now, they weren't true, of course, and the only purpose in it was to perhaps harm in some way this person because they don't like or appreciate what you stand for. Look at Joseph's brothers in Genesis 37. Joseph had been blessed with dreams that indicated he was going to be one that would be at least looked upon with great favor even by those brothers. They would fall before him. Not only that, the father had encouraged in some way this behavior. He'd given Joseph a coat of many colors. He had showed favoritism to him. He had showed partiality to him. And the other brothers didn't like it. The time came when they saw the opportunity. That hatred boiled up within them to the point that they appreciated, there comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Reuben, the oldest brother, said, let's don't kill him, let's just throw him in a pit. And so they did. And it was Reuben's hope that he could later release him, but the others sold him in ultimately as a slave before Reuben could do that. But did you notice what happened after that? They found that coat of many colors, and they dipped it in blood, and they took it back to their father, and they let him think that Joseph was dead. They lied to their father. They did it out of hatred, out of ill will. Did that make it right? Of course not. You'll notice in 1 John 3, 15, this kind of attitude belies hatred. It makes of us a murderer. Didn't John say, the Holy Spirit through John, that the person who hates his brother has committed murder? Now that's a strong statement, and maybe that challenges us to appreciate, if I don't exhibit love, 
then I make of this attribute of hatred a very, very strong thing that God looks upon with great disdain. Number eight. What other reason might someone lie? Now this one might have a strong correlation to some of the others we've said, but I thought it might be wise to list it separately. The enhancement of a person's name. My reputation, if I tell this lie, it's going to make me look good. Others will perhaps look upon me in a way they otherwise wouldn't, and I will stand to gain at least reputation because of it. I might suggest that it would seem that there's a lot of instances in which things like that do happen. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and following, we have another episode in the Bible of this occurring. All I have to do is mention the names Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas had been well known as one who was very generous and kind. He had sold a parcel of land and donated the profit thereof for the welfare and benefit of the church. And it appears that he had received a fair amount of, shall we say, popular regard because of it. Ananias and Sapphira had this idea, we've got some land, let's sell it. Problem is, they only gave part of the price, but claimed that they gave all of it. They lied. They gave part of the proceeds, but claimed that they had given all of it. They lied. Well, as you can well appreciate, Ananias died rather quickly because Peter confronted him. Peter asked him, Is it the case you've sold this land for such and such? And he said, Yes. He gave up the ghost. Three hours later, his wife came in. Peter asked her the same question, and she again agreed, and she died too. God didn't look well upon their lying. Now, that's just one example. An Old Testament one might be drawn from 1 Kings 13. I've asked you to consider it in regard to the old prophet. There was a young prophet and an old one in that chapter. And you might recall, God had told that young prophet, as you go and you prophesy against the altar, don't eat bread, don't drink water, and don't go back the way you came. And the young prophet knew exactly what God said, because he quoted it. And yet, while in that place, he came in contact with an old prophet. The old prophet said, God has told me, come and dine at the house with me. And the young man believed him. But the old prophet lied. The old prophet lied. Maybe the reason he did was to try to make a name for himself. In the eyes of this younger prophet, I want him to look upon me as a prophet of God too. He lied. It cost the young man his life. When he did leave on his journey homeward, of course a wild animal killed him as a judgment from God. Lying never turns out good. We've looked at these eight examples, and one by one, as we have looked at all of them, it brings us to the concluding point of the lesson today. We must have a high regard for truth. Not only when we are in the confines of this building, demanding of it, let's say, in our Bible study classes, in our worship periods, but even in our everyday walk of life, we must be those of truth. 
Speak ye every man the truth with his neighbor. Ephesians 4.25. Lie not one to another, Colossians 3.9. We've looked at these eight examples. As we close this slide, 2 Thessalonians 2.10 and Psalm 119, verse 97, both encourage us to be those who love the truth. May you and I love it, always speak it, and be those committed to it. This lesson, again, I've entitled, To Tell the Truth. I began it with that statement because, again, it's a bit of a habit for some to say, well, to tell you the truth, and I hope you and I now know, in all of these instances, and even in many others, the Bible shouts loudly and clearly, lying is not good, and God will hold it against us. We've got to try to get that attribute out of our life and always live for the truth. Today, as we come to this point in the lesson, maybe you're an individual who has never been washed in the blood of the Lamb. All the lies or all the falsehoods or all the sinful things you've ever done are still being reckoned against you. You realize how terrible that must be. Don't you want those to be cleansed and washed and forgiven? Don't you want to be free from the guilt of them? Today, that could happen as you obey the gospel. Believe in Jesus, for not only is He the way and the truth, He's also the life. John 14, 6. As you believe in Him, repent of those sins. Make an earnest and devoted intent to commit them no more. Confess the sweet name of Jesus as a Son of God, and then be immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. After you have begun that way in life, if you have fallen prey to living in such a way that you at least encourage falsehood, perhaps by the things you say, I think we all know that's not right and it's not good, and your life isn't all it could be for Jesus for that reason. Don't you want that to be forgiven? That could happen here in just a few minutes. May I say that you simply need to repent of those things and make confession of them and invite brethren to pray on your behalf to God, and we'd be honored to do that. If today any of these things would be the need of your life, we encourage you to come. More to the point, the Lord encourages you to come and to do so at once while together we stand and while we sing.